0: The reading is from John, chapter 15, verses 5 to 9. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. The next reading is from Ephesians chapter one verses one to fourteen on page one thousand one hundred and seventy three. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, through the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace, that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of, us, of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect where the times will have reached their fulfilment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who were the first to hope in christ might be for the praise of his glory and you also were included in christ when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation having believed you were marked in him with the seal the promised holy spirit who is a dis- deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are god's possession to the praise of his glory this is the word of the lord Thank you.
1: Thank you. Please do uh, keep your Bibles open in Ephesians. And hello, for those who don't know me, my name is Adam Kellis. I'm on the staff team here at St. Mary's, and it's a joy uh, to be with you all. As we uh, come to uh, God's Word, let us uh, come in humility and in prayer. Dearest God, King of kings and Lord of lords, Thank you that you have not left us stumbling in the darkness, trying to make our own way in the world, trying to understand reality. But thank you that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Thank you, Father God, that it enlightens us and leads us and guides us and takes us to you. And help us now, Father God, as we come to your living word. May it be that light in our heads, and our hearts, in our lives. In the name of Jesus. Amen. On Christmas Day, I uh, did both of the morning services here at St. Mary's and then I drove home to Tunbridge Wells. And uh, and after listening to Driving Home for, for Christmas a few times, I decided it was uh, time for something else. And, uh, and for some reason I decided that, that now with Spotify Audible... Uh, that you can listen to all these books uh, on Spotify. So I'd start listening to to the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and uh, and it, and what a what a joyful sort of Christmas uh, 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 book that is. And it got me pondering how so many of the wonderful works of literature, how so many of them are set in in times of conflict. Because The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, it isn't just about a little girl who discovers a world at the end of her wardrobe. It's about, it's about an evil queen, a witch who has suppressed a land which is longing to be liberated. The Lord of the Rings isn't just about a magic ring which can make you invisible. It is about this evil power which has risen to such height ...that it is starting to dominate all and it can touch. Or Harry Potter isn't just about a boy who is trapped by his aunt and uncle... ...and forced to live under, under the stairs to only discover one day that he is a wizard. It's about a boy discovering that he is a wizard and that he has a place... ...in this great, this great story of this great battle between good and evil itself. So many of the great narratives which we seem to love, are focused around conflict. And I wonder if they're focused around conflict because they sort of speak into our own lives and our own existence. And conflict, it can take so many forms, can't it? We can feel that internal conflict within ourselves as Christians, that desire to live for the glory of God, and yet their desire of sin is so strong we can feel that sort of conflict which Christmas can remind us of so easily as we go home to see our family and our loved ones, that there are these people that we might love more than anyone else in the world, and yet they're the ones who can wind us up more than anyone else in the world. And sometimes the conflicts within families can be so deep that there's actually an empty chair at that at that kitchen table, at that dining room table as you're having that Christmas dinner, because someone has decided that they no longer want to be there. And as, as, as we ponder this theme of conflict, well, well, we go to the news and it's everywhere, isn't it? Boots are marching through Ukraine and causing devastation and havoc and wickedness and evil. Or well, we hear of how the innocent are, are kidnapped from Israel or how the innocent are bombed in Gaza. And we hear about more conflict which seems to be filling this earth rather than less. And... And for, for those who have walked the Christian life for a long time, we, we know that the devil is, is, is at work as well. We know that he has he has fiery darts. That there is a spiritual dimension to reality, which our eyes, which are so focused on the material, are so bad at acknowledging here in the West, and yet it is so real and so wicked. We live in, in a time of conflict, in the personal, in the global, in the spiritual. And I wonder if that's why these stories seem to speak to us so quickly and so easily. And it's interesting, isn't it, that in these stories that they're, they're heroes, they're just so weak. It's four children against an evil witch who can turn you to stone. It's a fellowship which goes and marches out against, against, against a foe who has riders who can fly in the sky who can seem to send their their orc armies wherever they please. He seems so weak. As You consider Harry and his friends trying to hunt down these parts of Voldemort's soul to destroy them. And Voldemort is the most evil wizard who's ever lived. And ever since Dumbledore's died, then he's the most powerful wizard that's ever lived. And you're suddenly, how? How are these weak and insignificant little people meant to stand up against this great, foe and then we think about our own lives about the fact of our own internal conflict and the the global conflict and the spiritual conflict which we can live in and we think okay what is God's great plan for us and where does he place us in the midst of this conflict and we hear in God's word that he places us in a church he places us in a church and this is this is his plan and his purpose to keep us safe so that we can flourish but the problem is you open your eyes and are like, that's the plan? <laughs> like, look at what a church is. It's just filled with, with people who are striving to be righteous and yet are sinful. It's, it's filled with, 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 with simple people who are trying to live simple lives. It's, it's not impressive. It's incredibly ordinary. It's, it doesn't feel like it can stand up against the weight. And yet that's his plan. This is his purpose, us, this church, to to help us to live through this internal conflict and this global conflict and this spiritual conflict. Well, the book of Ephesians, it is focused focused and written to a church and is all about what a church is and what it's for. So as we look... At Ephesians chapter 1. What does God have to say to us today as we live in this time of conflict? The conflict within ourselves, the conflict in the world, and the conflict in the spiritual realms. Well, we read here chapter 1, verse 1 Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints at Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. So we start off by hearing that this letter is from Paul. And what we don't hear in in verse 1, but we will discover later in the book, is that Paul is currently experiencing his own conflict because he's in prison. And he's actually a victim of conflict. And then we hear that this letter is written to a church, the church in Ephesus. And those who might know the, 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 the book of Acts, well, Paul has spent two years in Ephesus in the book of Acts. And while he is there, he goes preaching the gospel. And he takes the gospel to, to, to the Jews in the synagogues. But they, but many of them believe, but many of them don't believe. And they kick him out. And so he takes, takes it further into the city and, and preaches. And what is the end result of all this preaching in Ephesus? A riot. A huge riot. Because the silversmiths who make uh, idols to the goddess Artemis, People aren't buying those idols anymore because they're starting to believe in Jesus Christ. And so this huge riot starts to, to occur against this early church and against Paul. But also we discover in Acts that as, as Paul has taken the gospel to this early church, that some people have, have gone out and they don't quite understand it all. And they go out trying to cast out demons. But they fail to cast out demons because they they... they 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 claim leave leave this person in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches, and actually that demon then jumps jump, jumps into the person who's trying to cast them out, and and so Ephesus is is a place which is experiencing this spiritual conflict of evil evil foes and forces at work and this earthly conflict that this early church is living in the midst of this huge riot. And then we discover, once Paul is left because of this riot, he then later comes back to Ephesus and he calls the elders of the church, the leaders of the church, and he gives them a warning. And he says, you've got to be on your guard because there are wolves out there who are going to come and take the sheep. So not only is this, this little church dealing with the spiritual conflict and dealing with a city which has turned against them, They also have to be concerned about what's going to happen within them. And later, as we discover in the book of Ephesus, uh, Ephesians, sorry, that actually this church is filled with Jews and with Gentiles, and there's, there's racial and ethnic difficulties there as well, which needs to find healing. And also, just to add it to the equation, if you look at the book of Timothy, Paul encourages Timothy to stay in Ephesus. And he has to stay there, and he has to guard that church against false teaching. This is a church which is living in a context of conflict, which is steeped in it. So as Paul is writing to this early church about what it is to be a church, they understand full well what it is to live in a world of spiritual conflict and a world of earthly conflict. So how does Paul encourage them? How does he spur them on? Well, let's look down at verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Paul encourages this church in the middle of this context of conflict and he he starts by encouraging them to praise the lord and they should be a people who praise the lord because those who are in christ have received every spiritual blessing and what does it mean to be in christ well as we heard from that first reading from from john's gospel to be in christ is like to be A branch connected to a vine. It's to be connected to Christ. Or um, another image, it's like you live in a city, and that city is in Christ. And because you belong to that city, you belong to Jesus Christ. And we read here, well, who those people who are branches connected to the vine, those people who are living in this city which is in Christ, how many spiritual blessings do they have? Every spiritual blessing. Nothing is is, is limited. Nothing is being withheld. They have every spiritual blessing. So what are these spiritual blessings which are available to those who are in Christ? Well, the first one is the blessing of holiness. Verse 4. For he chose us in, in himself before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless... In his sight. Just just meditate on that for a moment. Before the first sunbeam of the first sunrise ever hit the earth, God had chosen and decided that those who were in Christ would be holy and blameless before him. He had decided that those who were in Christ, that when he looked upon us, he would not see the shame of a past act, the guilt of a past deed, the weight of a life of rebellion, but he would see those who are holy, and those who are blameless. Which means, when we think about what is God's face towards the Christian, it is not the stern face of disapproval, but it is the face of a lover who's so glad to see them, because for them, they're perfect in their eyes. The blessing for those in Christ is the blessing of holiness, but it is also the blessing of adoption. The sentence which begins in in, in um, verse 4, but near verse 5, in love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Now for us modern readers, this language that we might be adopted in Jesus Christ as sons, it's it's quite counterculture and it's slightly, uh, it's, it's painful, isn't it? And yet that language of sonship is so helpful in this context. It's so helpful in the context because in the Greco-Roman world, to be, to be an adopted son means you gain a right of inheritance. You mean you gain that, that, that all, all these possessions once your adopted father and mother have died. So, so one, to be an adopted son means you gain access to all this inheritance. But two, to be an adopted son has a, has a context within the Jewish scriptures as well. Because if you go to Exodus and you, if you hear about the story of how God with a mighty hand, how he saves his people from slavery in Egypt and he brings them to himself and he takes them into the promised land. He says that the Israel is his Firstborn son. That he does this because they are his firstborn son. So suddenly, everyone who is hearing these, these words of Ephesians, suddenly they are being included into this promise which was first said to Israel in the time of the Exodus. So suddenly any Jew or any Gentile, anyone who's heard this and believed this or is in Christ can step into a promise which was made to the Jews and is now made to them. As well, And what do you gain through adoption? Well, you gain access, but you also gain security. Who has, who has the right? Who has the right to, just to run into the throne room of a king? Well, their children have that right to run into a throne room of a king. A right which you and I would never have. You gain access for adoption... You also gain security for adoption. Because who, who does the father run towards when he sees him coming home? The father runs towards his prodigal son when he sees him coming home. When that prodigal son has, has stolen from his father, has wasted all the money, has squandered it all in reckless living, and has got to the very pit. And he's now just eating with the pigs. And he's come to the great place of humility and he said, I've, I need to go home. And on his way home, it is the father who runs out to meet him. Because he has the security of that father-son relationship. And so those who are adopted, we have access and we have the security. That if we have the humility to come home, then the father will run out to us and draw us in. Those who are in Christ have the blessing of holiness and the blessing of adoption. And they also have the blessing of grace, verse 6. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Because the Father loves Jesus Christ, because, because they are one in their divinity, those who are in Christ, those who are with Christ, receive his love as well. This, this gift of grace, a gift which we, could, which we do not deserve, which gives us a future which should, should never have been ours, which gives us a status which we could not possibly have earned. We have that gift of grace. But also, verse 7, we hear those who are in Christ of the blessing of redemption. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's Grace. Now, this this language of redemption, it is a language which is taking us to the slave market. It is a a dark sort of image. But it is an image which of of darkness which is installed with light, because the image is someone who is coming to the slave market to pay for a slave so he can set them free. It is the image of someone who is coming to a slave market and who is going to pay and the price that he will pay is his own blood. It is the image of that person who has been set free by the blood of Christ, who isn't just free from shackles which, which hold you to some earthly master, but is free from the very shackles which hold you to sin and to death itself. So you can live free lives to the glory and the pleasure of God, rather than being enslaved to, to past deeds and past actions and past desires. You can live as a free person. And the last blessing we see here in verses 9 and 10 is the blessing of knowledge. And he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. those who are in Christ have been told a secret. Those who are in Christ have heard of a mystery which has now been revealed, has now been made known. Those who are in Christ know that this world of conflict, of that internal battle of those families which just aren't united of a world where war just seems inevitable and of a spiritual realm of a spiritual dark one who is, who is at work those who are in Christ have heard the secret and know the mystery that this reality of conflict is not the end or the full stop they know that every moment in history has been an arrow. That arrow is a hu- that history is a huge arrow pointing forwards. And it is pointing to a day when Jesus Christ will come in his father's glory. And he will bring about a union and a unity which will unite everything. Everything will be united in heaven. All that is warring. All is alienated, all that is dysfunctional will be united. Everything will be united on earth. All is warring, all is alienated, all that is dysfunctional. And everything can then be united thus within ourselves. Jesus Christ is coming to bring about this great fulfillment and to bring about this great unity so that this time of conflict will not be our end. Because Christ is coming. And we who are in Christ, we know this secret, this mystery of where the world is heading. And we know that history is in fact his story. And it ends in this great conclusion with the coming of Jesus Christ himself. To bring about unity in all that is broken and disordered theologian and, and, and politician Abraham, Abraham Kuyper says there is not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ who is sovereign over all does not cry mine but who are these blessings for who are these blessings for this blessing of, of holiness, this blessing of adoption, this blessing of grace, this blessing of redemption, these blessings of knowledge, well these blessings for those who are in Christ. But who is it who are in Christ? Well, verses 11 to 14 goes on to explain that to us. And as I read through this, 11 to 14, listen out. Who are these words addressed to? Verses 11 to 14, who are they addressed to? Let's start, verse 11. who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. And did you hear the progression of those words? How in 11 to 12, it starts with a we. In him, we were also chosen. The we of, of Paul, the writer, but also a we with everyone who were the first believers for those Jews and those disciples of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem. They they were that we who first believed. But they didn't stop there because the gospel went out from there. And so thus it becomes a you in verse 13 and 14. And you were also included in Christ. And how were, how were they who have heard? How were they including Christ? Because they've heard the word of truth, the gospel, and because they believed the word of truth, the gospel. And so this truth which began in Jerusalem is a truth which is spread across the world because it is a truth available for those who hear and those who believe that they can be part of the vine, that they can live in the city, that they can belong to Christ. So that's the concluding words of 14 are, the, sorry, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. It starts with a we, it goes to a you, it ends with an hour. We are the ones, together, the collective, who are in Christ, who have together heard and believed the good news that Jesus Christ has come. But as we draw to a conclusion, what is God saying to us today? What is God saying to us here in Maidenhead today? Well, on one level... It's sort of, there is a dividing line. For there are those who are in Christ and those who are not in Christ. And the, and the Lord is saying to us here in Maidenhead today, if you are not in Christ, then you need to hear and you need to believe that Jesus Christ has come, that he is your Lord and he is your Savior and he is the only way to the Father. And maybe something like Christianity to Explore, which John was talking about, would be the perfect opportunity to find out more about him. But for us here today who have heard and who have believed, well, what is God saying to us? The blessed praise. God is saying to us that the blessed praise. Those who know that in Christ they are holy... Well, how can they not praise God? Because suddenly they know that their past deeds and actions will not be held in his sight. But instead he looks at us with the gaze of a lover. The blessed praise. Those who have been adopted can't help but to praise because now they're home and now they're safe. And they'll be safe forever. The blessed praise because they've received a gift that they could never earn. The blessed praise because because they've been redeemed. And these battles that they've had with sin and the devil, these shackles and chains of sin which just seem to hold them back and weigh them down, they're, they're gone. And they can live as as free men and women. The blessed praise. Because they know the secret that though they live in this age of conflict, this isn't the end. That Jesus Christ is coming back. And he will bring about a great fulfillment. And everything in heaven and earth will be under his rule and his lordship. The blessed praise just to finish a rather, I'm actually very, very embarrassed by this story in many ways when I was a, a teenager uh, a friend of mine from church uh, she uh, her mum her married and, on the, and they decided that her, her mum's new husband was going to adopt my friend and uh, my friend had never had a, a dad in her life and I was, I don't know, 15, 16. And I remember my friend telling me this, uh, that she was now adopted. And she, like the look on her face, I mean, like, like, it was the biggest smile you've ever seen, sort of thing, that she'd been adopted. And I, I remember being, oh that's, oh, that's so exciting. And then she was really excited about it. And internally, I remember being like, all right, love, calm down. <laughs> like, let's not be too keen. And, and And why was I like that? Well, because... I've had a father who's always been there and who's always been loving and kind. I've never been adopted like that. I've never never experienced that earthly thing. And do you know what she did? We were at the youth group when the next people came through the door. (laughs) She bounded over to them and she said, I've been adopted. And do you know what she did when the next people came through the door? She bounded over to them. I've been adopted. Those who are blessed, they praise. Like my friend couldn't help it because she was just so filled with thankfulness that she now had a dad those who are blessed praise and the blessing which my friend has undoubtedly experienced through that adoption is nothing to the blessing which those who are in Christ have experienced because every heavenly blessing has been poured out on those who are in Christ the blessed praise let's spend a moment just meditating on God's word and then I'll close in prayer oh dearest God King of kings and Lord of lords we thank you for your word that is a light in the darkness and we thank you for how it enlightens our ways and teaches us about spiritual things which without it we might not be able to grasp or understand thank you Father God for all these spiritual blessings which are being lavishly poured out for those in Christ help us Father God to know them to experience them, to, re- to be defined by them. And help us, Father God, to live lives for your praise and for your glory because of all that you have done and all that you have won and all that you have achieved for us. Help us, Father God, to know that because we have heard and because we have believed, that we are adopted, that we're home. That we're safe. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.